Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, go to www.purevoice.com forward slash ERR. This program has been supported by an independent educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Welcome to this Pure Voice panel discussion on treating hepatitis C in women during pregnancy, children, and adolescents. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Marina Beringer, Professor Giuseppe Indolfi, and Dr. Tatiana Kushner. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Dr. Marina Berenga. I'm a hepatologist working at La Fe University Hospital in Valencia, Spain. I would like to welcome you all to this activity about hepatitis C in pregnancy, childhood, and adolescence. It is really an honor to share this panel with my colleagues, Dr. Tatiana Kushner from the ECAN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York, USA, and Dr. Giuseppe Indolfi from the University of Florence and the Mayo Children's Hospital in Florence, Italy. And in this first part, we will discuss screening and management of hepatitis C in pregnancy. Despite the substantial advances in hepatitis C elimination, there are still a significant number of infected individuals in the world, with 1.5 million new infections as of data in 2019. And this results in hepatitis C-related death in about 300,000 people. It's really very important to highlight that 3.2 million of all these infected individuals are children and adolescents. And in addition, the major current risk factor associated with new infections is injection drug use, which is a risk factor that has increased among young adults, including women of childbearing age and women diagnosed during pregnancy. I would also like to highlight that the prevalence of infection in pregnant women varies substantially between geographic regions, with estimates that range from 0.1% to 3.9% in different regions of the world, and also risk factors differ, such that intravenous drug use is more relevant in Europe and North America, while HIV co-infection, nosocomial transmission, and vertical transmission remains relevant in Africa. So with this background in mind, Dr. Kushner, Tatiana, let's start with you. Can you please tell us a bit more about screening in pregnancy? Why is this relevant and how should it be done? Thank you, Marina. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So as you've mentioned, there's a substantial burden of hepatitis C in women of childbearing age that is on the rise related to injection drug use and other risk factors. And in addition, several studies have now shown that it's cost effective to screen in pregnant women. So really, the recommendation is to screen all pregnant women for hepatitis C and to repeat screening with every pregnancy. In addition to identifying hepatitis C in women who come to care during pregnancy, it's important to identify hepatitis C positivity in pregnancy because that allows us to identify infants who may be at risk and also should be tested. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is very important. And most guidelines on hep C have targeted the adult populations, but there's really relative scarce data on hep C during pregnancy. So can you expand on how infected pregnant women are currently being managed and what are the expected benefits, but also the concerns around treatment in pregnancy? That's a great question and really a very relevant current issue as really the uh, landscape is evolving rapidly. Uh, the guidance in the U.S., Europe, and otherwise is not really specific about the question of 
treatment of hepatitis C in pregnant women. In fact, they emphasize that we need more safety data in order to recommend treatment in pregnancy, but the AASLD, the US society, uh, as well as EASL, the European society, do say that treatment of hepatitis C can be done on a case-by-case basis after discussion about risks and benefits. So really advocate for joint decision-making between the patient and the provider in the absence of clear or robust safety data. Uh, And when we think about treatment of hepatitis C in pregnancy, really we can think about the potential pros and cons for considering treatment specifically during pregnancy. Of course, the potential benefit is that women are already engaged in healthcare and are, are already in the healthcare system. So you can offer treatment to provide cure. But in addition, potentially treating during pregnancy can actually decrease the risk of vertical transmission and decrease the risk of hepatitis C associated adverse pregnancy outcomes. But again, we really need that safety data in order to make providers and patients alike feel more comfortable with the idea of treatment during pregnancy. So many benefits, uh, perhaps not much data. So can you tell us a bit more about the studies on DAA therapy in pregnancy? Yeah, so fortunately, we are now accumulating some clinical trial data for the use of DAAs in pregnancy. There is one published study by Catherine Chapel from University of Pittsburgh, where nine women were treated with cephospher lidiposphere during pregnancy, during the second and third trimesters, and did quite well. All of them had SVR12, and really no significant adverse events were reported. In addition, even more exciting, right now, there is a large multi-center study in the United States, which is hoping to recruit 100 patients in order to treat them again during second and third trimester with sebosphere belpatosphere to really begin to accumulate enough safety and efficacy data to move the needle and encourage the possibility of treatment during pregnancy in clinical practice. Thank you, Tatiana. And uh, let's now move a bit to the adverse events, which is really what we mostly fear, particularly uh, women and their providers. What can you tell us about the adverse events and whether there are any specific in terms of adverse events in pregnancy? Yes, I, I agree, Marina. That is really the the question that both patients and providers alike are most concerned about, particularly in kind of a high stakes situation of uh, during pregnancy. I think what's important to remember is that, again, as we all know, this is a finite treatment, and we recommend using these medications during second and third trimester. And so we really are not exposing uh, women to the medication during first trimester where uh, fetal development predominantly occurs. So from that standpoint alone, the idea that this is a finite treatment that can be done later in pregnancy enhances its safety potential. But also from the limited data that we've seen, again, in these clinical trials, there really were no significant adverse events reported in the mothers or the infants. And um, any real-world data in adults? It was very important to gather all this information uh, in the general population on pregnant. What about real-world data in pregnant women? That's a great question. So luckily, I think uh, because the guidance is not completely clear, uh, we 
a lot of providers have chosen to initiate treatment in the context of pregnancy. And we have accumulated data now from around the world of real world experience with the use of DAAs in pregnant people. And uh, recently, actually, the CDC Coalition Coalition for Global Hepatitis Elimination has developed a TIP-HEP-C registry. And this is a registry specific for collecting real data, real world data on exposure to direct acting antivirals in pregnancy. And this registry hopes to accumulate the data from providers around the world who are initiating treatment during pregnancy in order to collect the safety and efficacy data needed to inform future practice. So it's very exciting that now we have a dedicated registry uh, that we can learn from. I think this is very important, always multi-center international registries. Yeah, this is very interesting. So let's invite both panelists now and, and, and let's discuss about what additional recommendations you would you be giving to ensure the best management of pregnant women with hep C and their children. And I'll start with you, Tatiana. Yeah, thank you, Marina. So I think as we've already mentioned, it really is a continuum of care. It's a really specialized uh, setting here where we go from screening during pregnancy to consideration of treatment, and then also very critically that postpartum piece. So one question that often comes up in the postpartum period is about breastfeeding. And this should be part of our counseling with patients to say that Women with hepatitis C can breastfeed, should be encouraged to breastfeed, other than in very rare situation in case of bleeding or cracked nipples, where maybe there's a very slight risk of hepatitis C transmission. But generally, breastfeeding should be encouraged. In addition, we really need to have systems in place to make sure that there's communication between the maternal care and the pediatric care so, so that maternal hepatitis C status is communicated to pediatric context in order for infants to also be tested. And finally, to make sure that there's communication between the obstetric care and postpartum care, because we want to make sure that even if women are not treated during pregnancy, that they're linked to treatment postpartum by a liver specialist. Yeah, continuum of care, right? So Giuseppe, what about you? Uh, some final recommendations, perhaps now moving to the children's side? Of course, Tatiana has been extremely convincing. Uh, communication, interaction between the adult physicians who are taking care of the mothers and pediatrician is crucial. The risk of vertical transmission is it has been estimated around 5% from mono-infected baremic mothers. It can go as high as 10% when the mother is co-infected with HIV. It is extremely important to screen all these children for, for the possible development of the infection. And we usually do it testing antibodies after the age of 18 months. This is because uh, um, maternal Antibodies can pass through the placenta to the child and can still persist in the child blood up to the age of 18 months of age. So it is very easy to test the children for antibodies after the age of 18. But please, let me reinforce the information. We should treat the mothers. We can prevent the transmission of the infections of the children and get the mother cured. So this is extremely important. Well, thank you very much for these last recommendations. And I'll move now to summarize some of the highlights today. So the first one I think is universal screening for hepatitis C is recommended for all pregnant women, but several barriers remain for this to be achieved. 
We spoke about treatment options for pregnant women infected with HCV. They're not currently approved, but studies with DAAs are underway to determine both safety and efficacy. And I think the most important point, it is crucial to follow up on pregnant women with hepatitis C and their infants and connect them with specialists who can monitor and treat hepatitis C postpartum. Thank you for watching. Please join us at the next panel discussion where we will discuss the management approach for hepatitis C in children and adolescents. Hello, this is Dr. Marina Berenger. I'm a hepatologist working at La Fe University Hospital in Valencia, Spain. I would like to welcome you all to this activity about hepatitis C in pregnancy, childhood and adolescence. It is really an honor to share this panel with my colleagues Dr. Tatiana Kushner from the ECAN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, USA, and Dr. Giuseppe Indolfi from the University of Florence and the Mayor's Children's Hospital in Florence, Italy. During this session, we will discuss the new recommendations on the management of children and adolescents with HCV infections. Indeed, the worldwide prevalence of hepatitis C, active hepatitis C in children and adolescents is a concern with around 3.26 million of children under the age of 18 that are currently living with HCV. So Giuseppe, we'll start with you now. Uh, so why do you think it is important to treat these children and adolescents? Is the natural course of hepatitis C in children different from that seen in adults? Thank you, Marina, for this uh, question. The short answer is yes. We usually say that chronic hepatitis C in children is a mild disease. Cirrhosis and uh, bridging fibrosis, so advanced liver disease, has been described in less than 5% of the children with chronic infection. As pediatricians, we usually look after our children up to the age of 18, but um, it is important for us to understand that those who will not be treated will become HCV-infected adults. And uh, there are nice data showing that up, up to one third of young adults who get infected during childhood will present at a very early age, up around 35 years of age, with cirrhosis. So we should try to move forward from the idea of treating a disease to the idea of treating an infection and preventing the possible development of the disease. Yeah, thank you. I think this is a very important message. So let's move now to the WHO updated recommendation from just 2022 uh, for children and adolescents. What is the reason behind this new guidance, Giuseppe? What we need so far is a simple, straightforward, homogeneous message. And this is what uh, WHO tried to do when in July 2022, they issued the latest recommendation on treatment of hepatitis C in children and adolescents. The message was to treat all the children from three years of age. And this is very simple. It's something that has to do with what has been suggested many years ago regard, with regard to treatment of adults. So use pangenotypic combination, treat all independently of the stage of liver disease, and I will say independently of age. This is a very important message indeed. So Giuseppe, can you please tell us about the treatment landscape for hepatitis C in children and adolescents? And are these new therapies with DAAs approved for children of all ages, particularly we are uh, interested in the younger age uh, population? And the results, are they similar to the adult population? 
Thank you, Marina. The development of the pediatric development of this drug is quite interesting because, as you have seen, there has been a gap in between the development of these drugs for adults and for children. So, at the very beginning, we were very scared up to a few years ago that we will never get the drugs. And actually, in five years, we completed the studies and we also have the drugs available from the age of three years. That is something that is excellent. Thank you. And some data on sustainable response? Well, it is quite simple, Marina. Thanks again for this question. Uh, all the studies are showing that DAAs are very effective. And um, we can say that uh, more or less all these drugs uh, can achieve sustained biological response rates up to very close to 100%. There is only one concern that has been raised for the very youngest age cohort from three to five years of age when we have seen some lower results, but this was not due be of uh, virological failures. These children, the youngest one, were not able to swallow the medication, so they have difficulties in keeping the compliance with the treatment, and it is a major issue. So whenever we start treatment, we should be sure that these children can take easily the oral medication. That's very interesting. Yeah, indeed. And about adverse events, uh, I'll start, we'll start first with the adolescents, which I guess are kind of similar to the adult population. So Giuseppe, right? For, for us as pediatricians, the safety was really important. We are always dealing with three with three different people. So the patient that is usually young, but also with the parents. And so the first question is, is that safe or not? Well, across all the studies, I would say that these drugs are very safe. There are, there are some side effects that have been reported mainly from adolescents, but none of these effects was severe and none of the, or I would say only few of them were obligated to stop treatment because of the safety profile. So, Giuseppe, uh, now about the uh, adverse events and other specific issues regarding these therapies in children, particularly the younger children, which is something that parents fear the most. Well, Maria, this is even easier because these drugs are safe even in the youngest age cohort. Again, I will tell you that uh, the major problem was with, was with taking the oral medication with uh, some vomiting. But uh, again, all the other adverse events were quite mild and these children get treated very successfully. Thank you. Any specific guideline that you would recommend on the treatment of hepatitis C in children and adolescents specifically? Now, the drugs are there, but it's up to us as physicians, as scientists, to try to develop good guidelines. Most of the guidelines are non-pediatric guidelines, including specific uh, indication of children. The latest uh, guidelines published by the European Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology and Nutrition were issued in 2019 when only few combinations, mainly for adolescents, were available. We are working on that. In the next few months, we will produce the new guidelines. And again, we will try to be homogeneous with the message that has been released by WHO. So treat all, prevent the disease, treating the infection, starting from the age of three years. So we'll be eagerly waiting for these new guidelines, Giuseppe. So I'd like again to invite both panelists to give us their opinion on what still needs to be done to eradicate HCV in these special populations. So what do you think are the most relevant barriers that need to be overcome? Tatiana, let's start with you. 
Yeah, thank you, Marina. That's an excellent question. I think really this is a very interdisciplinary topic. And I think the communication from the maternal side to the pediatric side is really critical to make sure that the infants who are exposed to hepatitis C in utero are actually being screened when recommended, and of course, then linked to care for treatment. And similar to the mothers to make sure that if they were not treated in the context of pregnancy, to make sure that they're linked from obstetric care to liver specialist care after the completion of their pregnancy care. So thank you, Dr. Kushner. So Giuseppe, what do you think are the most relevant barriers that need to be overcome from your point of view? I will try to keep it simple. We should try to focus on testing. Should So the most important part is to find these children because uh, the global numbers that you have provided us with on the very beginning of this talk uh, are probably underestimations of the real number of children with chronic infection that are around the globe. And the second important part is to convince pediatricians that we should try to treat these children as soon as possible, not to wait. So again, treating the, the infection to prevent the disease. They're safe, they're efficacious, so let's treat them. Agree. Tatiana, what do you think? I agree. I agree. And I think one added aspect that I think sometimes contributes to the, uh, these challenges is still there is a stigma with hepatitis C, particularly in these populations, pregnant women and children. And so we need to work to combat that stigma in order for it to not interfere with appropriate care. Thank you very much. I'll try to summarize the points that we discussed today. So children and adolescents with chronic HCV infection can be safely treated with DAAs with similar efficacy as reported in adults or even higher. Early treatment of hepatitis C may prevent development of advanced liver disease in children independently of the mode of infection. And testing, again, and access to treatment are crucial to achieve the goal of elimination of hepatitis C as a major public threat by 2030. And um, thank you for watching. We hope you found our discussion useful for your clinical practice. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.